football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports Later on in the football show Gav Cooney from the 42 will join us to talk all things Qatar and Marcelo Mora Irahu will be on as well to talk about Argentina they are 35 games unbeaten arriving in Qatar and before all that Mr Tim Vickery from Brazil hello Hello, I've just decided I really love your kind of theme music. That that kind of that circular thing. Do 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 do. It's kind of hypnotic. I like it. Oh no, okay, nice. I don't even hear it anymore. You know that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, next time, play it, pay attention, okay. as if with fresh ears, mm-hmm. and I think you'll get into the groove. Okay, I will take your word for it. Here's a just an odd place to start, just for a moment. I was flicking through all uh, things Brazil World Cup for a moment, and I saw Danny Alves. Still in the squad, he's 40 years of age, Danny Alves, in the Brazilian squad. So he's 39, but what's in a year? Okay. Third oldest outfield player to play at a World Cup. Do you want to name the other two? Not a fair question. Uh, No, no, I don't. Angel Lebruna, an Argentine, and Mm -hmm. Roger Miller. Right, yes. So he's third. Yes. Playing his club football in uh, Mexico. So Danny Alves will be at the World Cup, Uh, as will Brazil. So... Give us a sense of what's going on in the Brazilian media a couple of days out. Is it wall to wall? It's it's still a little bit strange because we're, we're, we're still really in what you might call in inverted commas the third round of the election. Yeah. You know, where uh, the, the crazy heads, the reality deniers are gathering still in front of military barracks and saying, armed forces, save us, save us, save us, save us from communism, save us. Oh, for God's sake, what a pathetic collection of reality-denying Karens. But there they are. Mm. And they have claimed the yellow shirt. Uh, There has been some pushback. You can walk around in the streets and find yellow shirts with the president-elect Lula on them, and some people will will be wearing those. I am hopeful that it will kind of bring some kind of harmony to a deeply polarized society and that reality-denying aunts and uncles can be be, uh, uh, sidelined for a while to their own mystifying antics um but it, it, it it's it's a little bit strange yeah. uh, the whole the whole build-up it is becoming wall-to-wall because it is the it's the biggest event of, of brazilian patriotism really you know to, to but i'm not seeing the streets being decorated and i miss that yeah it, it's a ritual that i love in 20, I, I in, love tw- it. in 2014 i have to say it was one of the most beautiful aspects of being around various Brazilian cities when I was there, it was the flags and the banners and there was just a great sense of festival. And what I love about it is it's like a jubilee when they're celebrating themselves. They're not celebrating a monarch, you know, it's them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the murals that they draw of the players are like kids who could have come from that, that street. Mm. And maybe in the future, it's going to be kids who, who come from that street. So it, it's such a it's such a democratic celebration. But I'm not seeing any any signs of of that this year. OK. And we have talked about the extent to which Bolsonaro and his supporters have claimed the Brazilian jersey. And you referenced that there. Have they so claimed it that... If you were a Lula supporter and you were going to go for a walk about Rio in your Brazil jersey, you'd almost want to get Lula printed on the back so nobody mistakes you for a Bolsonaro type. Is it? Oh, has, has un- it been- undoubtedly, wow. without question. That's, if, it's if incredible. You, if you see someone wandering around in a yellow shirt, 
the it's just the automatic assumption that this is someone from the far right who who is still uh, protesting against the election results. That's incredible. That is that prevalent. Yeah, well, there's there's plenty of them. I mean, there's not enough of them to win an election. Ha 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 ha. But there's there's lots of them, and yeah. and, and they gather in numbers, and uh, uh, it, it is. And Brazil is becoming a laboratory of of an alternative reality. Um, and it's amazing to see how they believe their own fake news mm. <laughs> because they're all, they're all gathering there muttering and praying away or whatever it is that they do. And then a piece of fake news comes in that they've won and, and the, the election's been a, all been a fraud and the military are going to take power and they all start jumping up and down and celebrating. And, you know, then, you know, it's not really true. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then they fall for it the next time. It is, it's, it's a, uh, it's a sociologist field day, I think. Can I read you a quote from the Brazilian manager, uh, Chiche? Cheche? You can. Yeah, that's good. That's the first time was good. That's great. Okay. He said, at the time of the 2019 Copa America, we didn't have Anthony and Rafinha and Vinicius Jr. was still adapting at Real mm. Madrid. Gabriel Martinelli was just training with us. Now this generation has really arrived and wow, it was the progress of these players that has enabled us to play with five attack-minded players at the same time. And I was looking at a few guesses at the Brazilian lineup and so I'm seeing Pacoeta, who people will know now of West Ham an attacking midfielder Neymar Rafinha Vinicius Junior uh, Richarlison and then Casemiro I'm having images of Casemiro looking at the other five kind of like Claude McAuley when Real Madrid lost the ball <laughs> and the lads were looking back saying over to you buddy but make sure and give me the ball when you win it back for us is this what Brazil are up to? Well, they've conceded very, very few goals, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk you through the evolution of the side and how how they've, they've they're trying to fit in all, all of those attacking players. Uh, a few months ago, they weren't going to go with a centre forward. Those players exploded in the last eighteen months or so. So the, it was going to be uh, kind of a kind of four three three with Neymar as a false nine. Hafia wide right. Hafia has just come into the Brazil side and made it look more natural than anyone I've ever seen. Extraordinary. Vinicius on the left. Vinicius hasn't quite done the same thing. He still hasn't quite found his feet. But he, uh, Vinicius wide left. Neymar is a false nine. Uh, and then a, a midfield three. Casemiro holding. Fred with a mixed role. And Fred, the the complaint that uh, the Brazil coaching staff have of Man United is that they've misused him for all from all this time. They, they haven't had him running forward, using that lung power to run forward. And they've said to Fredji, tell the United coach that's what you're going to do or just go and do it. Because you know? he's good uh, when he gets into the Fredji, box for United. He's surprisingly good. Yes, yes. Uh, he's, he's too nice for his own good, I think. And, and, and uh, he's, 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 been a, uh, he's carried out instructions that maybe weren't in the best interest, neither of him nor of Manchester United. And then Lucas Paqueta as uh, uh, the kind of orthodox attacking midfielder. It's got a sweet thing going with Neymar. That little partnership was the first of the building blocks they had in this recent attacking brilliance. So that was going to be the side. It's not that side any longer because Richarlison has forced it not to be that side. Uh, he scored seven in the last six and they've decided that they're better with a centre-forward. So how are you going to fit the centre-forward in to all of that attacking talent? Now, there are two ways. And this is the big, it's a big debate that's going on. Maybe even now, in the, I was with them two or three weeks back and, uh, and uh, they're, they're divided on this, on, on this issue. How do you fit in Richarlison and, and, and keep all of those attacking players? Well, the more conservative way, although uh, the world is going to fall on the coach um, if he does this, 
is to drop Vinicius Jr. and play Paqueta as a kind of withdrawn left winger. Then you've got Vinicius for the bench. So that that that's one way of 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 doing it. The other way, the more attacking, adventurous way, is to drop Fredge and play Paqueta as the second man in midfield. So essentially then you've got a midfield trio of Casemiro, Paqueta and Neymar. Now the wingers have to work back. That's the only way this is going to work. Mm. They have to work back. But that really is uh, front-loading the team. And they know that if they play Daniel Alves, who is likely to be the reserve, but they know that if they play Daniel Alves, they can't do that. If they play Daniel Alves, they must play Fred because his lung power will then, will then help out the aged limbs of, of, of Daniel Alves. Um, the first two games, their first up is Serbia and then it's Switzerland. They think Serbia will give them much more space than Switzerland. And so there is a chance that that ultra-attacking lineup will take the field against Switzerland, although I'm inclined to doubt it. See, I would have thought you start off from balance and then as the game um, uh, goes on and uh, opposing defenders get, get tired, then you, you you use more of those cards that you got left on the bench. I can't see the point of playing all of your cards right from the start. I always think it's better to leave something in reserve. But that those are the discussions that are taking place within the Brazil side, within the coaching staff, and that's how we've got to where we are now. Okay. Do you agree with the sense that Brazil are favourites for this tournament? I think they're justified favourites, yeah. I mean, there's so much unknown about this in that uh, since Brazil won in 2002, every campaign has ended as soon as they've come up against the Western European side in the knockout stages. Because of the pandemic and the Nations League, there's there's been no, very, very little uh, international football between Europe and South America. And Brazil's only game against European opposition was a, a visit to the Czech Republic three years ago. They've been desperate to fix up friendlies against big European sides. They haven't been able to do it. So we're going to find that out on the fly. We're going to find out the relative merits of the of the, of the best teams from the two continents on the, on the fly. And I have a, a couple of little doubts and little problems uh, about Brazil. Um, one is what happens if they go behind in a big game. Mentally, will they cope with that? You'll remember the biggest game of Neymar's career, which was the, the final of the Champions League a couple of years back. From the, the point that Bayern Munich scored, his game collapsed. Now, that was two years ago. He's had two years to dwell on that and, and, and prepare himself better for the possibility of defeat. But when they lost at the Cup, the Cup America last year, their last defeat, second half, it's him and Paquetaro and Richarlison getting involved in little spats, falling into Argentina's game. Well, not Richarlison. Richarlison wasn't there. But uh, they were falling into, into Argentina's game. There were too many hotheads, too many spats. And the other thing I'm, I'm really keen to find out is uh, one of the things that, that makes them so hard to play against is that they press, which is not really something that, that Brazil have done um, very much mm. historically. Uh, what happens when they come up against opponents who are good enough to beat the press? They come up against Spain, for example, which is possible um, quarterfinals, I think, or, or, or something like that. Now, Spain can pass their way through that press. Brazil have obviously trained for that situation, but they haven't been in that situation in a match. And it's different. A training, is one th- a training session is one thing. The match is, 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 is the other. Um, so there are my little doubts. I also wonder how much opponents will target the space between Thiago Silva and the left back. Um, the, the Brazil coaching staff are in awe of Thiago Silva and his, the stats 
show that he's covering ground at pace. But he, he does play in the middle of a three with Chelsea. And uh, it's a different function, no, as, as, as the left-sided centre-back in a two. You have to go out a little bit wide. And, and, and has he lost some of that? I've seen a little bit of that now and again in, in, in Brazil games. And surely that's going to be targeted. And that's where Argentina scored the only goal of that Copa America final last year. So there are doubts, but there are doubts about all the sides. And uh, their form couldn't be better. In fact, that's almost a problem. You know, things have almost been uh, been going too well. Mm. They haven't had the stiff tests really since losing that Copa America final. Everything has been easy. They've never really been under scoreboard pressure. What kind of World Cup are you expecting from Neymar, Tim? Well, it, it is the moment where he defines his legacy as as an international player, um, and he hasn't. He's, he won a Confederations Cup. Uh, but Brazil are more or less the only nation who've ever taken that seriously. He's won an Olympics, but that, that's, a, that's an under-23 competition um, with, with a couple of old, old, older players. Uh, he hasn't won a Copa America. He hasn't won a World Cup. It's all riding on this one. And he knows that. He's aware of that. And by some bizarre quirk of fate, his age in Qatar is almost exactly the same as that of Pelé when Pelé retired from international football. The difference, of course, being that Pelé retired having done it all and Neymar has it all to do. There are, there are some good things about the timing. He's usually better and fitter in the first half of the season than he is in the second. That's when he's tended to pick up his, his uh, injuries. He looks fit. He looks very, very sharp. And the fact that this younger generation have exploded takes some of the pressure off him. It's not going to be all about him. But the pressure on him is going to be immense. And it's going to be fascinating to see how he, how he responds to that. Mm. I was sitting at a petrol station last night in Roscommon and oh mother of god the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes they are that mad. was the one lad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it yeah, don't what. go to rock subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports what about the South American chances at large then? As you've mentioned a few times on the show, with the paucity of games between South American and European opposition is something of a tro- throwback. Um, yeah. So uh, we're going to be talking to Argentina later on. They're feeling very good about life. And certainly they should. And they're, they're, they're beautiful to watch. They really, it, it's, it's almost like a kind of retro side, um, the way that, that they pass the ball. And when... When they associate and really make that ball fly, they're, they're, they're beautiful to watch. Um, it's now 36 unbeaten. They just uh, beat the Arab Emirates 5-0 today. <laughs> there is a fear that it's going to go wrong. <laughs> it's going to go wrong when, it, when, it's, uh, it, when it's most important. They are aware of... Uh, they, they did play the European champions, Italy, at Wembley a few months back and just destroyed them. Yeah. But they're aware that Italy had a long unbeaten run and Algeria had a long unbeaten run and neither of them at the World Cup. So that, that unbeaten run is almost like a, like a worry. Um, but they're, they're beautiful to watch. They're gonna, we're going to have a lot of fun with them. Um, my worry for them, business end of the competition is the defensive unit. It's greatly improved. Martinez of Villa and Romero of, of, of Tottenham are the best, respectively, goalkeeper and centre-back that Argentina have had for a while. And the stats are brilliant. I mean, something like two goals conceded in, in the last 15 or something. It's extraordinary. But they're often defending at full stretch. And uh, when you get to the business end of the World Cup, I, I fear that that might be the sector that lets them down. Um, I would much rather have Brazil's defensive unit than Argentina's. Okay, interesting. So, 
you will have seen Ecuador more than the rest of us, I suspect. Mm. They will get things underway come Sunday against Qatar. It doesn't jump off the page as uh, particularly <laughs> um, uh, glamorous tie, I have to say. I suspect half the world will watch it hoping Ecuador uh, stuff Qatar 5-0, to be frank about it. So what are we to expect from Ecuador? Well, the, the sides met almost exactly four years ago, uh, and it was great. Qatar won 4-3. It was a terrific game. So more of that, please. Uh, the Brazil coaching staff think that Ecuador could be one of the surprise sides of this World Cup. No one is going to relish facing them. They are very, very physical. They're big and they're strong and they're quick and they're well coached. Um, it, it's a remarkable story, really, because they, they'd had a nightmare few years on and off the field. A month to go to World Cup qualifying, they appoint this low-profile coach from Argentina who's never worked in Ecuador before. And he comes in and he's an instant success. He, he, uh, Alfaro, Gustavo Alfaro, he's always worked better with counter-attacking sides. And that, that's what Ecuador are. And he's shown remarkable courage to take advantage of youth. There's some really interesting youth development work going on in Ecuador. Uh, I mean, the last time we had under-20 football, Ecuador were South American champions and they came third in the world. And that generation have now come through. And players who are even younger have come through, like Moses Caicedo, now of Brighton, who is probably the most important player in the side. Um, so this is a team with virtues. I do worry about where the goals are going to come from. They've really dried up. Um, the strikers are, are out of form. There's there's pressure on Caicedo to score the goals as well as win the ball and set up the play. He's he's expected to to score some of the goals as well. And the other thing which you just don't know is it's a young side. Only three of them were at the World Cup in Brazil eight years ago, the last time that they, they qualified. How are they going to react? They've never seen anything like this before. You know, playing the opening game, the eyes of the entire planet will be on them. It's a vital game because it's not an easy group. How are they going to react? When Ecuador's first World Cup was 2002, and they weren't a bad side then. I mean, in the third game, they played really well. They beat Croatia. The problem was that they'd already lost the first two games because it had all kind of passed them by. You know, it wasn't until the third game that mentally they were ready to, to, to give of their best. So emotionally, how will they cope with the pressure of what for almost the entire squad is their first World Cup? OK. And in general terms, uh, there's been so much talk, obviously, about the controversial aspects of this World Cup. In general terms, from a footballing point of view, are you anticipating an enjoyable World Cup, a good World Cup, high quality World Cup? I am, yes, yes. Uh, and obviously the, the, the controversial aspects uh, should be talked about, will be talked about, are being talked about, and are being, are being talked about more because the World Cup is there, yeah. um, which is, is one positive spin-off. I don't know if that justifies uh, everything that's taken place. It, it, it surely doesn't, but at least there's one spin-off of that. But from a purely footballing point of view, yes. And the example that I give is Argentina in 2014. Um, when they qualified... They were just insanely attacking. The uh, the front three of uh, Messi, Higuain and Aguero, Di Maria in the midfield three. The coach, he's no longer with us, dear old Alejandro Sabella, used to say, you know, when, when we're attacked, there are times, all I can do is like shut my eyes and pray. But when we've got this, this accumulation of talent, it's going to be a tit for tat and we're going to win because our talent is better than your talent. Once we got to the World Cup, usual time, June and July, Sabella realized before the tournament even kicked off, they just couldn't do it. They weren't fit enough to do it. And Argentina reached the final that year, but it became a grim war of attrition. Uh, Aguero was nowhere near fully fit. 
when Di Maria broke down in the quarterfinals, that was a lot that they didn't score another goal uh, because it was end of season tiredness. And Messi was, uh, I was in the, in the stadium for, for a number of Argentina games and Messi spent quite a lot of time just kind of wandering around uh, with his head bowed in the center circle yeah. as if he was kind of looking for his wedding ring or something. He knew that he could only play in bursts. Now we've got it in the first half of the season. And yes, some players are going to miss the tournament because they're injured. Players always miss the tournament because they're injured. There is very, very little preparation time beforehand, which is a problem. But we're going to have the world's best players so much closer to peak physical condition than we usually do for, for World Cups. So I'm hoping from a technical level, we're going to get the kind of games that might rival the spectacle that we've had in recent years in the, the knockout stages of the Champions League. Mm. You know, we're, we're, the, the, the games have been fantastic. Quite often in, in, in recent World Cups, see, I, I don't think we've, we've had a great, a truly great World Cup since Mexico 86. Quite often the, the, the knockout stages have been wars of attrition, so different from the knockout stages of, of the Champions League. I'm hopeful that this time we're going to see something better. We're going to see a spectacle with a, with a, with a very, very high technical level. Um, so I'm, I'm really expecting the, the most watchable World Cup um, ever since Mexico 86. And then a final thought on the more controversial aspects. Thousands have died, one suspects needlessly. So that can't be undone. And that's just one of the great disgraces in sporting history, really, because the treatment of migrant workers was being highlighted eight, nine, ten years ago and FIFA never stepped in. Nobody stepped in. It just continued. And there's nothing that can be done about that. And now, from a social point of view, obviously, uh, various uh, members of all our communities feel uh, a great pain that the uh, social norms in Qatar are being embraced by FIFA, which is how it feels like to so many people around the world and that money talks. So there's... a just an extraordinarily grim backdrop which has, has been looming for these past number of years that we've spoken. And now that it's here, it certainly doesn't feel any better. No. Um, although I'm wary of, of, of going back to some kind of past golden age where everything was all right. You know, sure. and the, the 34 World Cup was, was uh, sports washing for fascism. Um, even 66 when England held the World Cup, you know, I think... I think it was the following year that, that homosexual relations were legalized. Um, so the past is not necessarily a better place. I, I find these questions so so difficult to, to, to answer because clearly open to the charge of, of, of hypocrisy because mm. I'm, I'm working on the events, you know, and benefiting from the events. And those charges of, of hypocrisy are entirely justified. I always feel like... like uh, um, Michael Corleone, you know, in The Godfather 2, Senator, we're all part of the same hypocrisy. But I, I do hope that in some way engagement is better than isolation. Um, and a, I've got a friend who works for a, an NGO dealing with global poverty in London. And, and she was telling me that one of her co-workers is a former migrant worker in, in Qatar. And I said, what's his relationship with the tournament? And she told me, yeah, he's bought tickets and he's going. With a clean conscience? Yes, because he is seeing a light being shone on the experience of migrant workers as, as never before. Uh, maybe one example here is Argentina in 78, 
which was sports washing for an absolutely brutal military dictatorship. Uh, and they kind of expected in the way that the military mind does that the world's press would come over and behave as like uh, obedient soldiers. Mm. But in the end, it, it ended up shining a light on on the, the, the barbaric torture and the disappearance, uh, you know, the, the midnight knock. Yeah. Um, all the, thousands and the, the cream of young Argentine society killed. Uh, and the, the mothers of the disappeared who gathered out uh, in, in the main square there, the Plaza de Mayo, they became international stars as a consequence of the World Cup. It was, if you like, an own goal from Argent, the, the military dictatorship, thinking that the world would come and just write pleasant little stories. Uh, and uh, within five years, obviously the, the, the Falklands-Malvinas war was the key component in this, but within five years that, that military dictatorship was, was packing its bags. So uh, you see this a, a number of times, I think, with these mega events. I mean, the, the mega event cycle in Brazil, the World Cup in 14 and, and, and the Olympics in 16, the idea of authority, you know, is we're going to look great out of this. And the reality proves to be something different. So I'm hopeful that, that something similar will happen in, in in Qatar as a consequence of, of Qatar. Maybe the hubris of the whole thing ends up backfiring, shining a light, giving more publicity, giving more awareness and bringing about concrete improvements in the lives of both migrant workers and uh, and, and those who don't fit the uh, ludicrously narrow religious stereotype of, uh, of what is allowed in terms of sexual orientation. Tim, it's good to talk to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Tim Vickery with us this evening. Football on Off The Ball is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports.